Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. As he said, it definitely was out of his comfort zone, so we're still trying to stretch him out of his comfort zone even more uh, than he already is, as well as all of our staff and all of our church as well. You know, as he, he showed me this this morning, he finished it, I think, yesterday or the day before, and uh, really, I think a lot of us have an understanding of grace, but I believe that a lot of our understanding is very limited uh, of what grace is all about, and that's kind of what this series suggests, as it says, limitless Understanding the power of grace. Uh, many of us that have been in church a number of years or any time, we've probably heard messages preached on grace. But the question is, do we truly understand its limitless power? And that's what I want to try to help us dive into over the next few weeks, just trying to understand the limitless power of grace. As we looked last week and we looked at the Apostle Paul when he was uh, transformed, when he was converted on that road to Damascus, and even his name changed from Saul to Paul, now, there's a transformative power of grace, uh, but even so much more than that, as I said, the, the main point of the message was that grace activates us. We should be activated by grace to do what God has called us to do, and I had a bunch of matches up here. Uh, I don't have that today, so don't have to worry. I'm not going to light anybody on fire, uh, but I do have another illustration I want to give a little bit later in the message. Um, so if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at a uh, a great story of God's grace reaching down to, again, someone that does not deserve it. Because that's, that's what grace is all about. Realizing that none of us deserve that free gift of salvation, what God is offering to us. So if you find your place in God's word, if you, if you don't mind, stand if you could. We're just going to read a few verses. We're going to be walking through this entire passage this morning, but we're not going to read it at this time. So John chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. Follow along with me in your Bibles, if you would, or on the screens behind me. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse number four, this is key. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again for this day. Lord, I thank you for the, the great service that we've already had. Uh, so excited to hear the kids sing praises to you and honoring and glorifying your name. And I thank you even for the, the music that we've had with the adults and uh, the special about grace. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to, to truly deliver your word this morning. Help us to have an understanding of grace's limitless power, and I feel like, and I say this to myself more than anyone, I feel like so many times I don't have a deep knowledge of your grace, and, and by that I, I think I limit its power. 
of what it can do in the lives of unbelievers and really what it can do in the life of a believer, of a child of God. Lord, many of us here today might understand that. Many of us may have even been saved by grace, but are we living a grace-filled life? Are we allowing grace to truly fill us up and flow out of us? And Lord, even as my prayer was this morning, God, I want you to fill me up so much of myself that there is little to nothing of Chris Thorne in there and everything, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that should be the prayer of all of us, that we are so full of you, that we are so full of who you are and what you called us to do, that we are living for you and obeying you on a daily basis. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless and guide us and direct us in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. There is a growing need in our society and our culture for several things. A couple in particular are acceptance and approval. I believe there's a need for satisfaction and purpose. And I read some different studies even this week that psychologists have said, and uh, you can get very, uh, very much in trouble when you read a bunch of psychologists, but I wasn't trying to do that for that sake, but I was just trying to get an understanding of what even some, 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 uh, some psychologists would say about some of our basic needs as human beings. And I think many of them have an understanding of what our, our basic needs are, but it goes even deeper because everything that we should believe and everything that we should live should be based upon God's Word. But some of the things that psychologists had said, they kind of lumped our basic needs or our needs into three main categories. The first was basic needs. And what they mean is food and water, water and clothing and sleep. You know, how to, how to function, how to live on a daily basis. The second need that they had was psychological needs. This is talking about relationships and acceptance of other people. And then the the, the final tier, if you have a pyramid, the, the basic needs would be on the bottom, the psychological needs would be in the middle, and then on the top was the self-fulfilling needs. And what they mean by that is uh, about achieving one's potential. And I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I think a lot of people are striving for some of those things. Now, we need to have a basic need. We need to have an understanding that we need to have clothing and food and shelter just to live and function on a daily basis. But let me ask you a few questions this morning, and they're very deep if you understand anything about my preaching. Some of my questions are very deep theologically, and some people have no idea what I'm talking about. First question is this. How many have ever had a thirst? All right, very good. I know some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's that deep theological question. Uh, why do we typically thirst for something? Somebody share it. We enjoy it. Why else? What? Lack of? Yeah. So what, what I mean, I guess, when I'm talking about thirst, uh, you know, I have water up here. I get parched at times, and I'm sure you guys get parched as well. You know, your throat feels dry, and you just need something to quench that thirst. All of us have had a thirst at times, and, and typically what we do to, to quench our thirst is put something inside of us, like water or Gatorade or, or something else. Now let me ask a couple questions, again, that are very, very deep. How much sand would a person have to consume to quench their need, their desire of thirst? Anybody? What? You don't need any sand? I brought some sand up here with me today. Put it in my old M&M jar since I ate all of the M&Ms like many, many months ago. Anybody want to eat some sand today? I'm not going to let you because I did some studies and it's probably going to kill you or, you know, mess you up in, internally. So I'm not going to do that. But silly illustration, and I'm not going to dump it on anyone. Don't worry about that. I, I thought about doing that, just, you know, just dumping out, but I'm definitely not going to do that either. Um, 
You know, it's a silly, silly question or silly illustration. You know, if I'm thirsty and I'm at the beach, I'm not going to be like, oh, sand. It's going to help me. It's going to fill me up. And I start chugging it. That would be foolish, right? That would be very, very foolish. Let's continue on. How much stuff would a person have to purchase in order to satisfy their need for approval? Anybody have an answer to that question? It's another deep question. What? Probably never ending. Some of these questions are really kind of upon themselves and really their, their basic meaning and understanding. What I mean is that you can buy as much as you want and it'll probably never truly satisfy. Because what's going to happen when you buy what you thought you needed, you're going to realize, I need something else. I need something else. I need something else. I need something else. And it goes on and on and on. Here's the third question. How many relationships would an individual need to pursue to satisfy their need for a relationship with God? Now think about that. How many relationships would an individual need to pursue in order to satisfy their relationship with God? And I'm not talking about going to God for their relationships. You see, so many people in our lives and in our culture are trying to fill the need that God has left in our heart with anything and everything but God. So in a sense, it would be like, man, I'm really thirsty. I have some water and I have some sand. I'll take some sand. You know, that, that's, that's foolish, that's silly. But I want you to get this and grasp this principle more because it's really most of the message. Isn't this how we live our lives? God has designed us to be in relation with him. Now, sin messed that up when the, in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God. And ever since then, there has been a disconnect with God and mankind. And, and you know, we talked about the, psychologi- or the psychologists and how they said there are three kind of needs. But I think there are really three questions that many people want to answer. And the three questions are this. Who am I? Why am I here, and what's missing in my life? Who am I, why am I here, and what's missing in my life? All three of these questions really deal with our series on identity that we've been talking about for so long on Wednesday nights. But when you think about this, leave these questions up for just a minute. Who am I, why am I here, and what's missing in my life? To answer all of these, I think we have to go to the third question. What is missing in my life? And in the world that we live in, in the culture that we live in, the society that we live in, they would say, what's missing in your life is stuff. You need more stuff. I almost fell off here, so back up. You need more stuff. You need more things. What's missing in your life is a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. You need another relationship in your life. That's what's missing in your life. We can go on and on and on. But what's missing in our life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's missing in our life is God. And really, when you answer that question, you understand why you're here. You understand who you are. And we've looked at that in depth in our Ephesians study. Go back and listen to the podcast if you want to understand a little bit more about that. But God created mankind to be in relationship with him. 
And I think the best way to describe this, this deep longing ache, this desire that we have, because all of us have a desire and we're, we're trying to figure out what is missing in my life. In a sense, what we're doing is we're thirsting for something. And if I'm thirsty for a drink, I'm going to drink something that's going to quench my thirst. But how often in our lives, again, and I, I'm, I'm driving this point home because this is really going to help the message go forward. How often in our lives, instead of going to the thing that will quench our thirst, we go to something that's only going to make us thirstier? Sand, or I could put salt or whatever, is not going to quench our thirst. It's going to leave us sick. It's going to leave us thirstier for what we truly are longing for. Water. John chapter 4 is an amazing passage and really, it's a passage of a woman who is thirsty. Not thirsty for a literal water, but thirsty for something that will quench and satisfy her needs of who am I? Why am I here? And what is missing in my life? And this individual, this woman that we'll meet here today, this morning, over the next few minutes, how she tried to fill her needs was through relationships. And you think about this, you know, the Bible is very practical 2,000 years ago as it is today. Because many people have done the same thing. I need a relationship with someone to quench my thirst, to quench my need. So they'll go to someone to quench that longing desire. But I found out that all it does sometimes is it leaves us hungrier and thirstier. And this woman here in John chapter 4 had five different husbands. And the guy she's with now is not her husband. He's probably married to another individual, so he's an adulterer. He, she's an adulteress. And what she's doing is she's trying to satisfy her needs with something that was never meant to satisfy. Now stay with me here, because this thought and this question or this challenge today really goes against our culture and and when people hear things like this from a pulpit being preached they almost immediately tune us out because no, no no you don't understand what i need no i do understand what you need because the bible is clear of what we need look at your life look at the lives of other individuals that are trying to fill up their lives with sand proverbial speaking and see how satisfied they truly are See how satisfied an individual is that's trying to fill up their life with drug and alcohol and, and sex and, and anything and everything but God. See how satisfied they are. Will they be satisfied? No. So what we're doing is we're filling our lives with sand. And Jesus meets a woman here in John chapter 4 that's been doing the same exact thing. We can go on and on and on about this, but... We do this with relationships, even food and work and achievement and approval. Sometimes even religion. Well, I just need more religion. You don't need more religion. You need more relationship. And the relationship I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. I want you to pop up that map if we have it. I want to look at verse number four as I have this map up here on the screen. Look what it says. This is John speaking. He's, he's giving us in, in depth what had happened one of Christ's disciples, and he says, He, this is Jesus, 
He must needs go through Samaria. Now, this is very, very important. I'm going to leave the map up here in a minute. I'm going to reference it here in just a second. But I'm going to give you, let me give you a cultural context of what is going on here to help us understand this passage a little bit deeper. Back in 722 B.C., this is before Christ, King Sargon of the Assyrian Empire invaded the northern territories of Israel. He had a unique plan to maintain, and maintain control. So what he did was he dispersed much of the Jewish population throughout the empire and replaced them with Gentiles from other conquered territories. By shuffling people groups around and encouraging intermarriage, he eventually and virtually bred the Jewish race out of existence in those northern territories. Within a few generations, no one in Samaria could claim pure Jewish blood because Jews were not marrying other Jews, they were marrying Gentiles, and that intermarriage was going on. Meanwhile, the southern region of Israel, known as Judah, also several years later had an invasion. They withstood Sargon's invasion initially, but then they were later invaded by Nebuchadnezzar and fell to the Babylonian Empire. But something different happened with Babylon is that Nebuchadnezzar did not force the Jews to intermarry. So when they returned to Judah many, many years later, they returned a pure race and were able to start over. And for the Jews that were pure, purebred Jews, they did not like the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, as they referred to them, as half-breeds. So you see on the map, and I'll try to point it out here today, what we see here is this southern area is Judah. And to get to this northern area of Galilee, obviously the most direct route would be straight, right? But a Jew would not do that. And so it's kind of hard to see, but a Jew would take a route farther so that they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. Because that is just, that's wrong. That's going to, uh, that's, you know, it's undignified and, you know, it's below me and beneath me to even associate with people like that. I mean, in a sense, we put it in perspective today, you know, it's like someone from Texas going to Kansas and I cannot go through Oklahoma. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> some of you and some of you might be from Oklahoma. I'm not trying to be mean here, but just trying to paint the picture. So what we do is we'd go all the way around, maybe through New Mexico and Colorado and then up all the way over to, to Kansas. Now we'll get there eventually, right? But it's way out of the way. Or we'll go over to Arkansas, then maybe Tennessee, and then, then across to Kansas. So it, I think we understand the picture here. And we see in verse number four that for a Jew, you don't go through. <laughs> you go around. But Jesus, even though he was a Jew, he realized that there was a thirsty individual there. Someone that needed something. There was a divine appointment awaiting him. So instead of going around as other Jews would to get to Galilee where he spent most of his, his ministry for the remainder of his ministry, he decided to go through. Now this is important. He must needs go through Jamer or Samaria, not Jamaria. <laughs> Jesus took the most direct path geographically, but it was the most challenging culturally. And there's something important that we see here about grace, first and foremost. Grace chases you. Grace chases you. 
You know what Jesus is showing us here? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not going around. I know those individuals that Jews don't like them, but they need the gospel just as much as the Jews. They need to be saved just as much as you. So I am going to do everything in my power to make sure I go through and go to them. There's so many applications we can make. But how many of us will do the same thing? Maybe if we're in a certain area, and I, and I understand it's dangerous in certain areas, but instead of going through an area, we'll go around so we don't have to go through that. We understand that concept. And in a sense, it was the same thing, but Jesus realized there was a woman, there was a community there that needed to understand who Jesus was, that needed Christ as their Savior. And get this, Jesus went out of his way to meet this woman. And that's what I mean by grace chases you. Grace chased down this woman and caught up with her at a well outside the city. And this was Jacob's well. He had purchased this land and given it to his son Joseph as an inheritance back in Genesis 33. Jacob's well had been a place of refreshment and remembrance for thousands of years. But let's continue the narrative this morning. Look at verse number 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So he's asking for a drink. Now this is significant because, again, Jews and Samaritans don't associate with each other. They do not talk to each other. If a Jew talked to a Samaritan, it would be talking down to them. But Jesus asked for a drink. He's, he's thirsty. Verse 8, the disciples had already gone. They're going to buy some food. They went to another city. And Verse number 9, this is important. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She's saying, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we don't match. We, 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 we're different. <laughs> I mean, is this some kind of joke that you're asking me for a drink? And to make matters worse, it wasn't that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan, and I'm not trying to be mean, but this is culturally re relevant. He was talking to the lowest form of a Samaritan, a woman. A Jew didn't talk to a Samaritan, and you didn't talk to a woman especially. And especially a woman like this, who was deeply involved in sin, and she was known around her community for what she did. As if she's already not confused, let's continue on. Jesus answered and said in her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give to me a drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So if you know who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. Again, it's just blowing her mind. She is utterly confused, as probably some of you are right now. It's okay. We'll get to there in just a minute. The woman saith unto him, Sir, uh, thou hast nothing to draw with. She's thinking he's talking about a literal physical water. And she's like, uh, you don't have anything to draw with. You don't have any, a bucket, or you, know, you don't have any rope. How, how, how can you give me a drink of water when you have nothing? That was nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? How, how can you have this living water when you don't even have anything? You see, the problem is her understanding. Jesus is talking about feeding her thirst with the only thing that can truly quench her thirst. And all she knows is the world's water. Now stay with me. Let's continue on, verses 12 through 14. 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob? So she's trying to figure this out. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and the children and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Well, that's understandable. You're going to get thirsty and you're going to have to draw from that well again and you're going to have to get drink. Verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? So if I go to your well, I'm never going to thirst? It's not making sense to her. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now John will later describe in, in John chapter 17 just exactly what eternal life was where he says, And this is life eternal that thou mayest know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. But understand, the water that Jesus is offering her today is the very thing for which her soul and your soul is designed for. It's the very thing which she was thirsting after that she didn't realize. A relationship with the Creator. Verse 15, we continue on. I think this woman, it's almost starting to make sense, or she's like, oh, oh wow, I, I want that. This woman saith in him, sir, give me this water. Hey, I I want water that's never going to make me thirst again. I I want this this wellspring springing up in me, this eternal life. I I, I want that. I don't understand it, but but I want that. That I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's starting to understand, but what happens next is at least shocking. Now stay with me. This is important. Look at verse number 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now, Jesus was trying to offer his grace. He was trying to offer an understanding that what you're thirsting for is not another relationship. What you're thirsting for is a relationship with me. I I want that water. I need that water. And instead of just giving it to her, what's Jesus asked her to do? Go get her husband. At least to me, it, it doesn't really make sense. But there's a reason for this. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, Uh, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Basically, you're right. I know that you don't have a husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. So he goes off and talks about her life and tells her the person she is. And I'm sure, again, I'd be wondering this, if someone starts talking about my innermost life and my deepest secrets and they start listing them off, I'm like, whoa, whoa, who have you talked to? <laughs> you just talked to my mom, my dad, my, my wife. My, who, who did you talk to to understand this? I, 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 don't, I don't get it. In our society, I'd be, I'd be looking for you know, the hidden cameras. You know, what's going around? Or what's going on here? But here, here's the important principle that I want us to get this morning. It's in your notes. He said, verse number four, we said, first and foremost, that grace chases you. And that's true. But something else must happen. Get this down. Grace is an exchange. Grace is an exchange. You see, this is key. Jesus did not pretend like everything was okay in her life. Was this woman living in sin? Yes. She was wrong. She had already had five other husbands. Now the guy she's with now has a wife, but she doesn't care. She's with him anyway. That's wrong. 
Jesus could have easily been like, here is the water that I'm wanting to give you. Here is salvation. So take it and go and continue to live how you want to live. But is that what Jesus does? No. So what I mean is that grace is an exchange. Get this. Jesus wasn't trying to give her something in addition to. He was offering something in replacement of. And this is key. This is key to fully understanding grace. And some of us might not even understand this today. He wasn't offering something in addition to. He was offering something in replacement of. And a a better way to look at it, he was offering something in exchange. Not, I want you to add me to the life that you already live and continue living that way. I want you to remove the life that you had and fill it with me. And that's exactly what Jesus wants of all of us. When he saves our soul, it's not, I saved you so you can continue to live in your sin. I saved you so you can continue to do whatever you want to do. That's not why Jesus saved us. He saved us to change us, right? To transform us, to make us into his image. So the reason in verses 16 through 18 that Jesus is saying, hey, go get your husband, he's calling out her sin because he wants her to understand that I'm not going to give you this so you can continue to do what you want to do. I'm not going to give you this so you can continue to live how you want to live. All of us have exchanged something. We had something that didn't fit. Now, we don't, sometimes it might happen where you go to make an exchange and they say, oh, just, just keep that. But typically, when you make an exchange, what do you do? You give up that old thing for something new. Now, stay with me here, because this is very important, very imperative. And we've been hitting on this in Wednesday nights in Ephesians. How many times, though, in our lives, when Jesus comes into our life, instead of truly allowing him to exchange our old life, our old nature, our our past, with that new life, we try to hang on to it. No, 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 God, I need to hang on to this. No, he's saying, no, give it over to me because I have an exchange for you. I have something far better than the life that you are living right now. I have something far more uh, able to quench your thirst than the sand of this world. I have the living water, but how often? Man, I'm thirsty. Grace is an exchange. It's an exchange of the old life for a new life. It's an exchange of your past, your guilt, your shame, your sin, your old nature. And as it says in Galatians, as we've mentioned many times on Wednesday nights, once we're saved, that old nature has been crucified, right? We're not the same. We should not be the same anymore. In Andy, Andy Stanley's book on grace, he says this, Jesus knew that for an exchange to be complete, He had to dredge up all the old so that it could be replaced once and for all. The moment you get saved, it's not like, all right, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm good, and I'm going to continue to live in my sin. You don't understand what grace is. You don't understand salvation. I'm not saying you're not saved, but salvation is not an excuse to continue living in sin. Grace is not an excuse, and we'll hit that in the next few weeks, is not an excuse to continue living in sin. Grace is offering you something better, a replacement. Think about this exchange. This woman could never experience God's grace until she was first willing to stop hiding in her sin. 
And so many of us are hiding in our sins because we think nobody sees us, nobody knows what's going on, I can continue to do what I wanna do. Whether you're saved or lost today, that's beside the point, and here's what I mean. Don't take this wrong. Even Christians are doing this. Even Christians are still trying to live in their sin nature of the past that's already been crucified because they're filling up their lives with sand instead of the living water of Jesus Christ. But I can't get over my past and and I need something. I, I need someone in my life. Yes, you do need someone in your life. It's called Jesus Christ. But I need, a, I need a boyfriend, I need a girlfriend, I need a husband, I need a wife, I need this, I need that. No, you need Jesus Christ. Pastor, you don't understand. It's hard in this world. I know it's hard, but you need Christ. Grace is an exchange. So why do we keep trying to fill up our lives with sand when he's offered us the living water? And we wonder again, and I say this so often, but God has really been hitting this with me. We wonder why our lives are in despair and we wonder why our lives are messed up. I just can't get over things because you're filling your life up with this trash. Instead of this. Look, when you experience pain and rejection, it's very easy for us to build up walls and keep people out, right? But we need to understand that Jesus didn't go around Samaria. He went through Samaria. Jesus went out of his way to be with this woman. He goes out of his way to be with you because grace chases you. But there must be an exchange. Let's continue reading verse number 19. The woman's still trying to understand and grasp, but the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this very mountain, and, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship? Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And what he's saying here is because the Samaritans had their own temple. They had their temple here uh, in this mountain. I think it was Gerizim where the original tabernacle was at. So the Samaritans thought this was the only place to worship God. The Jews thought the only place to worship God was in Jerusalem in the temple. Neither one believed in the legitimacy of either one. So Jesus is saying, there's coming a time where you don't have to worship here in this mountain or here in Jerusalem, but it's going to be worshiping me. The hour shall come now and when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the spirit that they must... Uh, they, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith, this is key, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, because I've heard that, that Messiah, that, that Christ is coming, which is called Christ. Now, I'll get this. She's still just not grasping it. When he has come, he will tell us of all things. So, you know what, guy, I mean, you must be a prophet or something like that, but I'm just going to wait for Messiah to come because then he'll be able to explain everything to me. And what happens next is, is astounding to me, because this doesn't really happen in any of the other, other Gospels. Countless times in Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders tried to trick Jesus into revealing his identity. They tried to trick him into saying, hey, are you the son of God? And what he would do a lot of times is he would answer with another question or give him a parable, and, and they'd have no clue what he was talking about. He'd continue on. So he didn't reveal his identity to, him, to them. But here is a woman of Samaria that's not even really asking, and yet what he does is he reveals who he is. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. 
What he's saying is, you know that, that Messiah that you're waiting for? It's me. That's powerful. He never did that other places. The religious leaders were trying to get it out of him, and he wouldn't tell them. But this woman that's trying to understand who he is and, and what he's coming to do and, and how he can help her and fulfill in her life and, and quench that, that, that longing desire, that thirst, he's saying, who you're waiting for is right in front of you. I am he. I am the Christ. Over the next several verses, it shifts a little bit because the disciples return. But let's pick up the story in, in verse number 29. In verse number 28, then the woman left her water pot. And I think she started understanding. She left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Hey, I, I believe I found the Christ. I believe I found the Messiah. I believe this is the Son of God. He told me who I was and who I could be become. Verse 30, then they went out of the city and came unto him. So I believe she got saved that day and her life was changed and, and she wanted to tell other people about this Jesus, about this Christ. Verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. Verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I have business that I need to take care of. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? What is he talking about? How does he have food? We, we, we didn't bring him any food. Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And that's, that's key. And that's another message entirely. Jesus said, I'm not worried about my physical hunger right now because there is something much more important. There is a soul. There are souls that are hanging in the balance. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. So what he's trying to get them to understand that there is a harvest out there, a field that is ripe for the picking, that people want to know how, how to not thirst, to quench their thirst. Let's continue on in verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying or I just lost my place. Verse 39 again. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the, of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Surely this guy has to be different because if you lived in Samaria, yeah, you knew this woman. But if you're a Jew, you probably wouldn't have known this woman. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. So two more days he continued to preach and teach and help them understand, and this is, this is good, and many more believed because of his own word. You see, the power of grace is truly limitless. There are no limits to what grace can do and where grace will grow, go. You see, grace was willing to go through Samaria, not just around it. I hit on this on Wednesday. There's so many people that are trying to overcome their past with their own strength. But I'm here to tell you that you will never overcome your past in your own strength. Because your strength is limited. But God's strength is limitless. Why do we struggle in our Christian lives? Why do so many Christians fail to thrive? One, I think, is because we won't acknowledge our own limitations. We refuse to acknowledge that we cannot do it alone because we were never meant to walk through life alone. Get this down. A declaration of thirst 
is an invitation for God to quench your thirst. What I mean is that we have to declare that we're thirsty. And sometimes it's coming to the end of ourselves. Because we've been trying and trying and trying to fill our lives up with sand. It's got to satisfy me. I know it didn't satisfy me in the past, but I'm going to try it again. It's got to work this time. That relationship has to stick this time. That food, it's really going to help me this time. Those drugs are really going to help me this time. That alcohol really is going to quench my my ever-longing desire and heartache of what's missing in my life. It's really going to help me. Another job is really going to help me. More stuff is really going to help me. It doesn't help you at all. A declaration of thirst is an invitation for God to quench your thirst. Life has a way of leaving us thirsty, doesn't it? We have unfulfilled dreams and missed opportunities. Look, many of us wish we can go back and change things of our past. I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't. You cannot go back. Time does not move backwards. Well, my clock does. Well, it's messed up. (laughs) But time itself moves forward. There is no going back. But why do we have to try to move time back so we have to dwell on our past and all of our mistakes and all of our our miscues and everything like that? I've got to live in the past and I've got to keep drinking sand because it's going to quench my thirst. No, it's not. Time is going to move forward. It always moves forward. And we're trying to quench our thirst with surface things. We have a thirst that seems unquenchable. We might try to do it with social media or friends or relationships or, again, parties or drugs or alcohol. We try to quench our thirst with a lot of sand, but sand is meant to keep you thirsty. It's only going to make it worse. So here's what we discover, and this is the main application today. Grace quenches our thirst. Grace quenches our thirst. Here's what I mean. Grace fills this up. There are some today today who are thirsty. I know it's true because I see how you live your lives. I see how you're living your life that you're trying to quench it with all the sand of the world instead of the living water of Jesus Christ. But you're not going to be quenched. You're only going to be thirstier. Look, try to quench it with a business. Try to quench it with a hobby. Try to quench it with more sand, but I guarantee it'll only leave you wanting more. Let's put it back to the story today. The only relationship you need is not another husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend. The only relationship you need is Jesus Christ. But the world says, I need that. Uh, You don't. You need him first and foremost. If God gives you that, great. But if he doesn't, quit trying to quench it with something that's not going to quench it. Go ahead and keep drinking sand. That's foolish. I would never do that, Pastor. I can point out your life today, and I'm not going to do it, but I can point out your life and say, you're filling your life with sand. 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 There are times where I'm filling my life with sand instead of the living water of Jesus Christ. You want to have your thirst quenched? It's not Gatorade. It's Jesus Christ. It's his grace. His grace is sufficient Because Jesus is grace, and Jesus is all-sufficient. Here's the core truth. A declaration of thirst is an invitation for God to quench your thirst. 
with his all-sufficient grace. You want to know who you are, what's your purpose, and what's missing in your life? You've got to go back to Jesus Christ. The answers to all those questions are found in him. He's the chain breaker, as we said before, but he's also the thirst quencher. So allow his grace to fill you up and quench that burning desire within your soul. Let God's grace fill you up. And that's exactly what happened in this story. And even going to last week's message, where I said grace activates us, Paul was activated to serve. This woman was activated by grace because what did she do? I have to tell other people about Jesus. How many of us have truly been activated by Jesus and his grace? I have to tell other people about Jesus and what he has done. He has quenched my thirst. But some of you can't because he hasn't quenched your thirst because you haven't allowed him to quench your thirst. 